Thank you. If you would, take your copy of God's Word this morning and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be focusing this morning primarily on verse 16. Um, So I hope that you'll turn there with me uh, as we study God's Word together. We are in the middle of a sermon series um, where we are um, spending time looking at the what are called means of grace, and this is, this is God's, uh, these are the tools God gives, the, the ways He gives, the instruments He gives for us to be able to grow as believers, as Christians, to set our eyes on Him, and to uh, see what God is doing through His Word to bring us into um, a right understanding of who He is and who we are and how He calls us to live. How is it our good? What is God doing to accomplish His purposes? Uh, and so we're doing that to this morning in Second uh, Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen uh, and seventeen. Um, what I want to do this morning is I'm going to ask you, if you would, uh, to stand with me out of honor for God's word as we read it, uh, and then I'll let you sit down for this uh, for a little bit. And this morning, what I want to point you to is the unique word of God, the unique word of God, and in Second Timothy chapter three. Uh, Verse 16, Paul writes and he says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Heavenly Father, we ask you to use these verses to stir up our love for you, to mature us in you, Father, that we might be more mature. Father, I pray that you would help us by exposing sin and helping us to see uh, how dangerous and deadly our sin is. Lord, that we might turn our eyes once again to what Christ has purchased for us, the beautiful forgiveness that we have through him by his work on the cross. Father, may we see the uniqueness of your word this morning, that it is powerful to change us and to grow us. And Father, may we submit our lives to you and to the truthfulness of your word. Father, I pray that in what you do this morning, you would make us look more like Jesus. We ask it all in his name. Amen. You can be seated for a moment. I remember watching the Matrix movie for the first time. Many of you may not have seen it, but I remember watching it for the first time and being absolutely compelled by the idea that you could learn something instantly. In the movie, there was the possibility, they have a scenario where they need to fly a helicopter. And all they do is radio in, hey, can you upload the helicopter software to my brain? Now they know how to fly a helicopter. I was mesmerized by that. I thought, man, how great would life be if all you had to do was upload the software and you'd be ready to go? How great would it be if you could grow that way without having to spend much time learning anything? Michael just got back from three weeks in San Diego having to learn, cramming stuff in his brain. How great would it have been if they could just send you a file and you could stick it in your brain? I know everything about it now. But that's not how it works. That's not how it works in Christian life either. There's no quick fixes. There's no instant solutions when it comes to maturity and growth in the truth. And Paul is writing to Timothy to encourage him and to provoke him to continue to lean and to teach and to rely on the Word of God. In fact, 2 Timothy is Paul's writing to Timothy, who was his spiritual child, his his, uh, protege, 
And we know from the book that Paul's writing near the end of his life. He's about to die, and he knows that. We see that in chapter 4, verse 6. He talks about he is all ready to be poured out as an offering for God. So he's leaving Timothy with important words. And if you're going to tell your last words to somebody, what would you spend the time talking about? Where for Paul, it seems to focus on the Word of God, the importance of the Scriptures and the call to faithfully preach them. Not only that, but here in this chapter, Paul has been warning of those he calls evil or imposters who are deceiving the people and are themselves being deceived. Paul says they lack a true understanding of the truth as they have the appearance of godliness. Timothy and likewise Christians should take care not to forsake the truth of God. In fact, we see there's a difference between true believers and those who only appear godly. Because in verse 14, there's a but that is a contrast. That Timothy and believers are meant to look different than those who only had the appearance of godliness. Timothy, we're told, had learned the truth from his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, as well as the preaching and teaching of Paul. And Paul calls on Timothy to continue or to keep on in what he had learned and believed. And in this series that we're doing, we're reminding ourselves of the ways in which God continues to grow us and mature us in Jesus. We looked at last week that the word was powerful. This, this week I want to focus on the unique word of God. Because we have to ask ourselves, how does God use his word to mature us? What makes the Bible unique to the other books you could go find in a bookstore? What makes the Bible vital to us as believers? Well, I believe here in these two verses, Paul lays out a very rich detail of how the Word is unique and why it should be vital for us. I want to turn your attention to verse 16, where we see that the Word is authored by God. One of the reasons why the Word of God, the Bible, is unique is because it is authored by God. We're told in verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All scripture, he says, is breathed out by God, not just certain parts. And this can be extremely controversial. Even in religious circles, it can be controversial to say that. Because there are some who discount many things found in the Bible. There are some who will discount the supernatural or the miraculous accounts that are found there. In fact, all you got to do is turn on the History Channel about every single evening and you'll find another discussion about how the Exodus really didn't happen by God's supernatural power. It's just because of uh, climate. Or it's just because things in the natural world happened. Why? Because it's hard for people to accept from God's Word that supernatural things happened like seas getting parted. So there are some who are going to discount the miraculous. They'll discount the fact that Jesus didn't really resurrect from the grave. He just passed out for a while. There are also some who hold to the New Testament while rejecting the Old Testament. We don't need the Old anymore, they say, because we have the New Testament. As if they are disconnected from one another. As if they're not the same story. 
But here, Paul tells Timothy, right before he dies, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Every single bit of it. So I would suppose to you that we either accept it all or we reject it all. It's controversial. We like to think we can pick and choose. We like to think we can maybe turn it and twist it a little bit to match more what we'd like to be the truth. I was one of those back in early Christianity, when I first became a believer, I was one of those that was nearly led astray by a gentleman named Rob Bell. And Rob Bell was a popular teacher. You would have found his NUMA videos in Christian bookstores like Lifeway. Rob Bell wrote a book. He's written many, but he, won one in, he wrote one in particular that stirred up quite a bit, and it was a book that was entitled Love Wins. And in his book, Love Wins, Rob Bell basically said, no one is going to hell. Everyone will eventually go to heaven. Love must win. And the only way love can win is for no punishment to take place. Folks, you have to rip out most of your Bible and most of the teachings of Jesus to arrive at that conclusion. But we will twist, we will disregard we will act as if only parts of God's word are relevant and true and the others can be dismissed. What he wanted to present to us was that only the love part, as he defines it, are the truly inspired parts of the Bible. Folks, Paul says without equivocation, all scripture is breathed out by God. And just so you know, breathed out is another way of saying that all of scripture is authored by God. It's all His Word. It is all inspired by Him. The Bible is God's revelation of Himself to us. Every bit of it, and it's all purposeful and important to us. God, by the work of His Spirit, inspired human authors to write His words down. And just so you know, what I mean by that are the original words. I love the ESV version of the Bible, but just so you know, the ESV version is not the inspired version. It is the original language that is inspired. I hate to break it to you, that's why we do the Greek, that's why we do the Hebrew, because those are the words God gave through his people, through the men he inspired. It is God's words that are breathed out for our benefit and good. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21, Peter says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Don't ask me to explain how this all works, but simply that God tells us in His Word that He authored it all, and He used men inspired of His Spirit to write it. And as such, it's all true. It's all relevant. It's all vital. It's all valuable. So what do, what do we learn about the Bible from what Peter tells us? Well, we learn that the Bible is trustworthy. Because it's not based on human wisdom that ebbs and flows and changes. That God's word is inerrant, that means because he authored it, there's no error in it. It's objectively true. 
It is filled with His wisdom. It is sufficient for every need. It is not a human invention. These are all vital truths of how God operates and why His Word is so valuable. Brother, I don't think I have any extra batteries up here. Um, would you go in there and grab me a set of batteries? Uh, sorry, my battery is low. That's why I keep... I'm going to keep on going, though, until we get the batteries. To say the Word is breathed out by God is to communicate that God is the true author of every word and every sentence. So why does that matter? Well, one theologian said, we cannot rely on the doctrine of Scripture until we are absolutely convinced that God is its author. We won't hold it to be true unless we believe it's from God. Thank you so much. Thank you. Talk amongst yourselves. There we go. Yay! We will not be content to know and to believe the truth unless we believe it is God who has authored it. And when we are convinced God is the author, it should change how we approach the reading and studying of the Bible. How does it do that? Well, it means we're going to read the Bible with reverence because it's His Word. It means we're going to read the Bible to be changed by His truth, not to twist it to ours. It means that we're going to read the Bible and not neglect it. It means the Bible wins over your and my opinions. It's what unites us. It's why it's valuable to us. But not only is the word authored by God and thus unique, but the word is unique because the word, we're told, is profitable. In verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. For reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The word profitable is also translated beneficial, advantageous, useful, valuable. Now let me ask you, if you hold something to be valuable, what do you do with it? If you treasure something, what do you do with it? Well, you guard it, protect it, lock it. <laughs> so now we know Miss Linda has all of her stuff locked up. We don't say that. We say we bury it. That way nobody can get to it. If we do believe that it's valuable, if we believe God's word is valuable, then we pursue it. On the flip side, if we don't hold something to be valuable, if we hold something to be worthless, what do we do with it? We discard it. We ignore it. We forsake it. We forget it. Or we try to improve it. Oh, Miss Donna. Oh, now. And therein lies the indictment, doesn't it? If we ignore the Word of God, if we forsake it, if we dismiss it, or if we try to change it, what are we saying about our view of it? It's not valuable to us. Folks, How do we view the word? Is it valuable to us or not? Well, one way we can determine how valuable it is is to ask ourselves, are we forsaking it? Do we dismiss it? 
Do we forget it? Do we try to change it? Do we put it away? Because if we do value God's word, what does that look like? Well, it means that we pursue it. We guard it. We store it up in our hearts. So I guess one thing we can do right now this morning is ask ourselves, what are we doing with the Word of God? Are we forsaking it and dismissing it and changing it? Or are we pursuing it, trusting in it, hiding it in our hearts? It tells us a lot about what we believe about God's Word. Now God tells us that His Word is valuable, useful for our spiritual growth. But in what ways? I'm going to borrow some of this phrasing from the Puritan theologian Thomas Brooks. But here are four ways that Paul tells us that the Word of God matures us, grows us, why we should be seeing the Word, of, why we should view God's Word as valuable and profitable to us. Number one, it is valuable or profitable to us as Christians for teaching. And Thomas Brooks calls this, the Word informs the ignorant. The Word of God is profitable to believers because through it, God teaches or informs His people. And as much as we may not want to admit it, there is much about God and the Christian life that we don't know and understand. Can we be real with each other? Can we say that there are a lot of parts of God's Word that we don't know or understand yet? Things that are really difficult to wrap our minds around. It's from God's words that we learn and are reminded of what is real and true, and that's not always easy. As believers, what we believe and value must come from the Bible, for it is profitable, we're told, for teaching. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 14, Paul wrote to the Ephesians and said, And God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that, here it is, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes." So we desperately need this because we are prone as people to be tossed and carried by every wind of doctrine. You and I can easily be led astray into human wisdom and schemes, including me. We can certainly learn many things from other books, but the Word of God is uniquely powerful and the Word of God is uniquely purposeful to teach and inform believers of the truth. Number two, not only is God's Word profitable, valuable for teaching, it's also profitable, valuable for reproof. Thomas Brooks says, the Word of God confutes the erroneous. It means to correct, to rebuke. The Word of God is profitable to us as Christians because through it, God rebukes or corrects His people. And the word that's used here is a word that means to bring to light or to expose. Uh-oh. See, we like the whole teaching part. Yeah! God's going to teach me by his word. Woohoo! But then we get to, 
And God's going to use his word to rebuke us. No, nobody gets excited by that. It hurts. It hurts to be rebuked. No one likes stuff exposed in their lives. We've been spending our whole lives covering it up. And through his word, God is exposing or shedding light on what? Erroneous beliefs and practices. So God's word defines the boundaries and it tells us when we've stepped outside of them. No one wants to hear that. I hate boundaries. I hate being told when I'm outside them. I color purposely outside the lines just to prove I can. Lines are for losers. <laughs> okay, I, that was, oh, sorry. That was a joke. Sorry about that. We put that down. <laughs> Little hot. All right. It is for our benefit as believers that our sin and wrongdoing would be exposed, that it would be shown to be false. It's not comfortable, but it's necessary. If we're going to mature into Christ as God intends, we must go to his word to have sin exposed and wrong belief brought to light. We have to. It's for our benefit. I'm embarrassed to tell you by some of the things I believed in early Christian life. I'm embarrassed by some of the things I preached from pulpits as an early minister. I pray God has deleted it from the minds of the people I spoke to. And I've already thrown my notes away. See, over the course of time, in my own life, God has exposed and brought to my eyes many areas where sin and false belief resided in my own heart. And by the way, he's still doing it today. And just so you know, he'll keep doing it tomorrow. Absolutely. Everything. Now, maybe that's why we struggle to read the Bible sometimes, right? Maybe that's why we struggle to read the Bible sometimes. It's because we know when we go there, it's going to expose sin and errors in our own life, and nobody wants to read that. We'd rather go to the self-help section and grab us something that tells me how great I am. That's much more satisfying, right? But it doesn't mature me. doesn't mature me in Jesus. We don't need to be told everything is good and all right. We need to be told the truth. And sometimes the truth is going to expose what's wrong off in us. See, we often desire a blissful ignorance, me included. But God's word purposes to root out lies and sin, to lovingly prune us, John 15. And as a kid, I'll just let you know, I despised and hated the correction my parents gave. I thought they were just ignorant. Killjoys. All they wanted to do is make me miserable. But now that I'm a parent, you ever caught yourself saying the same stuff your parents told you? Oh, it makes you feel dirty. But now that you're an adult, hopefully, now that you're an adult, hopefully you see what they were trying to teach you. Now, I'm not saying all parents do it well. I just know that's what happened in my life. I, re 
I, I know now why my mom told me to stop inhaling cinnamon rolls as fast as I could. Y'all know what I'm talking about, the ones in the tube? Oh, it's so beautiful. And they're just perfectly round. And you put them in there, right? But here's the problem. Pillsbury didn't account for the fact that there might be an odd number of kids in the house. So they put eight in them things. Well, I got two brothers. Someone's getting left out of this. Someone's getting three. And one of you is getting only two. So guess what I did? Well, the only way to get to that third one, you got to, you got to, because you could grab another one until you ate the one. So guess what Jason learned how to do? I'm telling you, I could be in a cinnamon roll eating contest right now. I would destroy it. I'd bring home the gold. Because as soon as that got laid out, I got that first one. Like you could almost fit it in your mouth in one bite. Got that done, muscle it down, grab you another one. And as soon as that one's down, you grab the third. And my mom would always tell me, stop doing that. Stop eating that fast. You don't need to do it at just cinnamon rolls. She didn't understand how much I love cinnamon rolls. But what she was doing, what was she trying to highlight? Whether she knew it or not, what was she trying to highlight? Selfishness and greed. Well, at the time, I was just like, I want more cinnamon rolls. Right? Now I'm a parent. Now I'm counting everything. I count everything. Who's getting what, when, where, What's the thermostat set on? Why is it set up a notch every time I go in there? Why is someone turning it down and turning the air conditioning on? You finally learn as an adult why you were being taught things, but at the time I didn't like it as a kid. Guess what God may see me as? He's trying to teach me. What am I acting like? I'm acting like cinnamon roll Jason. Don't call me that, by the way. I'm acting like cinnamon roll Jason, right? And maybe God looks at me and sees the frustration that I have with my own children when they don't do what they're supposed to in the way they're supposed to. Maybe that's God saying, you see that? That's how you look to me. That's what his word does. His word exposes that. Now as a parent, I see why my parents did some of the things they did. And now I appreciate it. We should be thankful for God's reproof. Because our parents can get it wrong. God doesn't. His reproof is always right, always correct, and always for our spiritual maturity and good. So how do we know if we're doing that rightly? How do we know if we love the reproof of God or not? Well, Thomas Watson, another Puritan theologian, asked that question. Let me share his two answers with you. Use this as an investigative test in your own heart. Thomas Watson says, how shall we know that, the love of, uh, that we love the reproofs of God's word? Number one, when we desire to send a, sit under a heart-searching ministry. Who cares for medicines that will not work? A godly man does not choose to sit under a ministry that will not work upon his conscience. Listen, if you desire to go somewhere where they're just going to massage your ego and tell you everything's okay and everything's hunky-dory, just so you know... That's not loving the reproof of God. Number two, how do we know that we love God's rebuke and reproof in our own lives? Number two, when we pray that the word may meet with our sins. If there is any traitorous lust in our heart, 
we would have it found out and executed. We do not want sin covered. We want it cured. We can open our breast to the sword of the word and say, Lord, smite this sin. <laughs> How many of us wake up in the morning going, Lord, take your word and pierce my heart and smite the sin. Try it tomorrow morning. When you get up, ask God to smite the sin with his sword, right? But if we avoid that, what is it telling us about what we feel about the reproof of God? We don't want it. We don't value it. We don't love it. But if we do love the reproof of God, we'll sit under the hard preaching of God's truth and we'll pray that God's truth would meet our sins and eradicate them. So, the Word of God is unique and profitable for teaching, for reproof, and number three, for correction. Or as Thomas Brooks called it, God's Word reforms the wicked. See, the Word of God is profitable to believers because through it, God corrects His people. So how does that differ from reproof? I thought reproof was correction. Well, reproof exposes what is sin, and correction sets right or makes it straight. As one theologian said, if reproof is the negative, then correction is the positive provision for it. God doesn't just point out your error and sin. He provides the necessary correctives to set us back on track. That's good news. He didn't just tell you what you're doing wrong. He gives you the corrective to it. We often call this restoration. It's not enough to simply be told we're wrong. We must know how we are restored. Because just so you know, even if people admit that they're sinners according to God's word, that doesn't mean they're going to turn to his word for salvation or for the solution. Just because people may admit and agree with God that they're jacked up doesn't mean that they're going to run to him corrective. They can easily turn to self-correction, what we call self-righteousness. They may come up with other solutions that seem right to them but don't bring permanent change. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, Peter says, So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. See, all this reminds me of the rebuke of Peter in Mark chapter 8, verse 38. Remember, Peter rebukes Jesus because Jesus says he's going to suffer and die. And Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, no, you ain't. That's not how this is supposed to go. We're supposed to win. Just so you know, don't ever rebuke Jesus. But Jesus in Mark chapter 8 doesn't just point out Peter's erroneous belief because he does pull him aside. And what does he tell him? Get behind me, Satan. What does Jesus do? He exposes the sin. He says, you're thinking of the things of man, not the things of God. But he doesn't just correct him on that. He doesn't just point out and rebuke him for what's sin. He goes on in verses 34 through 38 of that same text to correct him through the teaching of what his life and sacrifice really meant. See, when we sin, we need God's word, his truth to set us back on track because ultimately we are accountable to his standard, not our own. And what God desires is not only that we would know what is evil, but that we would turn to his word to find out what pleases him and how we walk in righteousness, how we forsake sin. And in that, it is truly valuable to us in our maturity. And then finally, number four, 
God's Word is unique and profitable for training in righteousness. As Thomas Brooks puts it, God's Word is profitable to guide and direct, support and comfort the godly. See, the word that's used here for training is also a word that is used to describe discipline. As in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the training or discipline and instruction of the Lord. This whole idea of training is the idea of bringing up children and teaching them. And as God's children, His discipline is ultimately for our good. And just as I didn't appreciate it when my parents did it, we often don't appreciate God's discipline when it comes. From our perspective, it just hurts. As I've mentioned before in the past, we see what we look like to God as we look upon our kids and our grandkids. You ever want to know what we really look like before God? Come to VBS for a week. You'll walk away with a better understanding of what you look like to God. Because you spend all of VBS going, don't touch that. Stop. Stop. Don't run. Don't run. Don't put that in your mouth. No, don't do that. Don't hit that person. No, don't throw it. Didn't I tell you don't do that? Don't throw it on the floor. No, don't. No, wash your hands. Stop. Stop doing that. Wash your hands. No, don't put that there. That's terrible. Don't put it there. That's a terrible place. Right? Listen. Listen to what I'm saying. Pay attention. Look what we're talking. Here, we're talking about this. Look. Pay attention. See this? Right? No, stop looking over there. Look over here. Right? Stop. You do that for a week, and you're like, oh, I can't do this. for. It's, one of, it's, all, it's why we only do it once a year. We can't do it more than that. We'll go crazy. But in that, what are we learning? That's what we look like to God because God's constantly through his word and by his spirit's conviction going, don't touch that. Don't put that in your mouth. Stop. No, 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 no. Don't throw it on the floor. No, no, no. Here, go, go out. Don't touch your brother or sister. Don't do that. Right? We're, God is lovingly training, disciplining us by his word, and that discipline is meant to point us to greater what? Righteousness. To walk in it. To be trained in righteousness. God's word trains us in righteousness the same as a parent trains their child in how to walk rightly. And when we first trust in Christ, we are spiritual babies. We are spiritually babies who desperately need the loving training and discipline of God. And just so you know, just as we expect our children and grandchildren to grow up and mature, God expects his children to grow up and mature. I'm really glad that my children have not remained infants. I'm really glad. I'm so glad they have gotten older. Well, God intends for us to grow up into spiritual adulthood as well. Many of you know that over the last year, I've dedicated myself to trying to get in shape. I got a bad news from the doctor a year ago that my cholesterol was way too high. And who knows what kind of damage I was doing to my heart. And so I went drastic. I changed the way I ate. I started working out all the time. It hasn't been easy. It's been hard. There's a lot of days where I'm just like, this is terrible. I hate it. I've had to work hard. I've had to keep going on the days I didn't feel like it. I had to make it a priority if I was going to get healthy. Paul tells us that physical training has some value, 
Right? He tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 and 9, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Paul says physical training has some value, but training in godliness has eternal value. As physical training brings physical health, training by the Word of God brings spiritual health. And just so you know, it's a lifelong process. And there's going to be some days you don't feel like it. There's going to be some days when you got to push through. There's going to be some days when you just rather lay in bed all day than to have to worry about this. But be encouraged. God is accomplishing his purposes of training you up in righteousness through his word as we pursue it and commit ourselves to it every day for the rest of our lives. One theologian notes, teaching can be done in a classroom in an hour, but training takes years so that your senses respond correctly. Training involves repeatedly hearing and studying the word so that eventually your spiritual reflexes begin to respond properly to what the word teaches. Then you are not just taught, you are trained. See, the Lord's training is necessary. It's tough, it's hard, and it is a lifelong pursuit. But the Lord's training is valuable. Just as physical training is valuable, lifting weights and getting big muscles, spiritual training is far more valuable because I hate to break it to you, it don't matter how much I work out in this life, one day I'm still dead. And some of you are going, then why are you doing it? <laughs> cinnamon rolls, I want more cinnamon rolls. I want three. But if we would dedicate ourselves to try and remain physically healthy, even though one day we're going to die, can you imagine the training benefit that comes from spiritual training? Through the Word of God, by His truth, that will have an eternal value. That ain't ending. And that's good news. That's so valuable to us. John 17, 17, Jesus praying for his people before he goes to the cross, prays to the Father, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. Psalm 119, the psalmist tells us, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You've heard it before, haven't you? question is, are we living it? Are we storing up his word in our heart because we really do believe it is valuable for our training in righteousness? And finally, verse 17. I'm going to do this very, very quickly. Verse 17. Here's the purpose as to why God does all of this through his word. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. See, the means of grace that God supplies, his word, Prayer, the sacraments, God provides these for the purpose of making us complete or mature in Him. And the Word of God is His primary means to accomplish this work. And we're told that His Word will bring us to completeness, equipped for every good work, equipped for everything that pleases God. 
through teaching, reproof, correction, and training that the Word provides. Thomas Brooks once again says this about the Word of God. Here a lamb may wade, and here an elephant may swim. Here is milk for babes and meat for strong men. Here is comfort for the afflicted and support for the tempted and ease for the troubled and light for the clouded and enlargement for the straightened. Oh, how full of light, how full of life, how full of love, how full of sweetness, how full of goodness, how full of righteousness, how full of holiness is every chapter and every verse in every chapter and, yes, every line in every verse. When we open up God's Word, it's not a to-do list. It's not a do's and don'ts. It is God's powerful Word, unique to mature us spiritually into Christ through teaching, rebuke, correction, and training in righteousness. So what do I ask you this morning? Do our lives as believers reflect the love for the Word of God? As one popular Christian saying puts it, if you consumed as much physical food as you do the Word, how healthy would you be? As a church... Are we feeding on the Word of God regularly? If you're only getting one hour a week, I hate to break it to you folks, you are deficient. We cannot be spiritually healthy opening up God's Word from 1045 to 1145. We need it every day. And as a church, we need it every day. That's why, guys, tomorrow morning at Chick-fil-A, guess what we're going to do at 8 o'clock in the morning? We're going to open the Word back up. Guess what we're going to do on Wednesday? We're going to open the Word back up. Guess we're going to do starting in September again. We're going to have our men's breakfast. We're going to open the word back up. Ladies, you're going to do something. I don't know what it's going to be. You're going to open the word back up. Small group is going to start back in September. Guess what we're going to do on Sunday evenings? We're going to open the word back up. And we should be doing it every day together because we need it. You and I, we need the word of God all the time. Why? Because it is God's unique word to grow us and mature us to look more like Jesus. Let me ask you this, are we fully convinced that the Bible is God's unique word to us, revealing who he is and all we need to honor and glorify him? As a church, do we believe God's word is sufficient for every spiritual need, or as a church, do we start looking for our own wisdom and our own experiences to tell the tale? As believers, are we growing in our obedience to all that the Lord has commanded, do we see fruit of God's sanctifying work through His Spirit's power, applying the Word of God to our lives? Are we as a church pushing each other towards greater obedience for God's glory? Are we spending time together outside these walls, bringing the Word of God to bear on each other's lives? Are we challenging each other, encouraging one another, and pointing one another to the truth regularly? We need it for our growth and maturity. Growing in maturity is a lifelong process that God promises he will complete in his people. God says there is coming a day when we will be presented perfect before him. So don't lose hope, Christians. Don't get discouraged. Don't quit. Keep running to God's word. Don't take it for granted. Don't settle for less. Keep pursuing God's word. Keep trusting God's word. Keep learning from his word. Keep battling sin through his word. Keep provoking each other in his word. 
Keep pushing each other to greater obedience and trust. And keep looking to Christ. He's the one who one day will present you fully equipped and perfect before the Father. No more sin. No more death. And God has given us his word this morning. Not to use for another day. Not to have a resource book when we get in trouble down the line. But for right now, every single day to mature us to look more like Jesus. Do we love his word or do we not? Are we growing in the knowledge of him through his word, are we not? Are we seeking obedience to Christ? Do we see the fruit of his work? These are the things that we call each other to, and these are the things we need to respond to this morning. I don't know where you're at. I don't know how often you read God's word. I don't know whether it's a regular part of your life. I don't know what you view about it, but here's what I can tell you. We must come to see that God's word is unique, and it is profitable for us to be able to grow in the likeness of Christ. And as Christians, we cannot live without it. I'm just going to urge you this morning to respond to God. He's given you his word by his grace to grow you into Christ. How could we ever forsake it one more second? Dismiss it, twist it, turn it. But instead, we need to pray that God would help us to value his word, to run to his word, to see Christ again. To be encouraged and nourished and corrected and rebuked and all those things. To be trained in righteousness so that God might receive more glory from our lives. That we as Christians might actually look like Jesus every day. I know I need it. I'm assuming you do too. This morning, God has said his word is powerful and unique to grow you. May we respond to him. Maybe this morning you need to trust in Christ. See, reading the word doesn't make us right. It is trust in Christ alone. And God's not calling us to do better, try harder. He's calling on us to repent and confess and trust in Jesus alone. Maybe you need to do that. I'm happy to talk with you. As Christians, maybe we just need to go before God one more time and petition him to help us to value his word, to run to it and to cling that we might read his word and devote ourselves to walk in obedience to what he's told us. Maybe this morning you need to lay a sin before God that you've really been battling and struggling with, to place it before him and to call upon the name of Jesus, the only one who is able to forgive and to make us complete. This morning, let's respond to the truth that God's word is a treasure to us. It is unique and it is supremely valuable to us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I love you. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that through it you teach us, you correct us, you rebuke us, you train us. And Father, as your people, we are supremely grateful for this gift. Lord, I pray that you would find in us people who treasure your word, who seek to have your word applied to our lives by your spirit's power to live for you and to walk in righteousness. Father, as your people, we want to honor you. We want to glorify you. And through your words, you show us what that looks like. Father, may you help us as your people to devote ourselves to your word, to treasure your word, to value your word, and because of that, God, to pursue what you've told us. Lord, would you save people by the power of your word? Would they see their desperate need for Jesus? And would they trust in him? 
Through your word, God, would you show that sin can never satisfy, that sin destroys. And Father, would you show us through your word that through Christ we can be redeemed. We can be restored. Father, use this time to work in our hearts. May your spirit infiltrate to the depths of our soul to show us sin, to root it out, and to cause us to walk in righteousness. Father, would you do your work among your people? I ask you, in the name of Jesus, amen.